Welcome to the Raise the Roof, Remove the Walls podcast. This is the Tuesday edition. Uh, Joe teaches on Facebook every Tuesday morning, uh, so you can check him out live, uh, get video and all that good stuff, or you can check it out here. We'll try and drop those uh, teachings uh, here on the podcast like we are this week. Uh, And this week's teaching, uh, Joe talks about love, so hope you enjoy. Good morning, guys. Welcome to the last day of February. Tomorrow it'll be March. I am told by the uh, weather people on TV today is the meteorological last day of winter. Uh, I'll see it when I believe it. We're supposed to get potentially some snow later on this week. Like I think Wednesday, uh, we're supposed to get some snow. So even though it's spring, it's still going to be cold. I love you. Three of the most powerful words in the world. Three of the most powerful words that we can speak to somebody else. I love you. Many, many, many people spend their whole lives looking for someone to love with all of their heart, with all of they are, and someone who's going to love them in that way. In fact, that's one of our greatest fears and not finding that person that we can love with all of our heart and not being loved by a person in that way. Love is very, very powerful. And for the roof to be raised and the walls to be removed, it's going to take love. Now, there's a problem because in our culture, we have, we have so perverted that word and that concept of love and what it really means that a whole lot of people don't know what love is. So we have to come to understand love as the Bible defines it and as God shows it to us. Because God is the one who really is going to define what love is. He's the one who's going to define that kind of love that that we want to have for him, that we want him to have for us, that we want to have for other people, and that we want them to have for us. I believe the best place to look and see a biblical definition of love is in 1 Corinthians 13. Paul writes, and as he writes, he defines, literally he defines what this kind of love that God wants for us to experience from him and he wants us to have toward him and toward others in verses 14 through 18. He shows us what real love does and what real love doesn't do in this passage. I want to read it first out of the ESV. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. Now, Paul defines that love, and that's the kind of love that God has for you and I, That's the kind of love that he wants us to experience from him, but that he wants us to return to him. And it's the kind of love that he wants us to love other people with. 
Now, I want to go through that same passage and look at it in the message, because the message kind of puts it more, I think, in our everyday vernacular, everyday language that we can maybe even better understand. In the message, it says, love never gives up. Love cares more for others than for self. Love doesn't want what it doesn't have. Love doesn't strut. Love doesn't have a swelled head. Love doesn't force itself on others. Love isn't always me first. Love doesn't fly off the handle. Love doesn't keep score of the sins of others. Love doesn't revel when others grovel. Love takes pleasure in the flowering of truth. Love puts up with anything. Love trusts God always. Love always looks for the best. Love never looks back. Love does, keeps going to the end. Love never dies. Now, I don't know about you, but boy, that is overwhelming even to read that. Even to come to understand that's the kind of love God has toward me. That's the kind of love that he wants me to exhibit in my life. But it's even more overwhelming, to be real honest with you, when I try and love that way. But whenever God confronts me with real love, when I read that passage of Scripture or others in Scripture, or when I look at the life of Jesus and God confronts me with what real love is and how at, at any given moment, in any situation, I may not be practicing that kind kind of love. He reminds me. He reminds me that love is not something that as human beings I can really do apart from the Holy Spirit. In John, in 1 John, we are told in chapter 4, verse 8, and I think then at verse 16, God is love. God the Father is love. God the Son is love. God the Holy Spirit is love. So is God asking me to do this apart from my relationship with him, my connection with him through the Holy Spirit? No. Paul says this about love in Romans 5, 5. He says, and hope does not disappoint us. Why? Because God has poured out his love in our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given us. Now, did you, did you get that? It is the Holy Spirit who gives us that supernatural ability to love as God loves, to fulfill that definition in 1 Corinthians 13 of what love is. And here's the really awesome part. The Holy Spirit is not outside helping me or assisting me to do it. He is on the inside of me doing it. The love that God calls us to have, that love that he has for us, that he wants to manifest in our life, he knows that from a human perspective, we can't do that. We can't generate that kind of love. So when he fills us with the Holy Spirit, who is love, then that kind of love, as we give the Holy Spirit control and freedom to direct and control our lives, he's going to manifest that, that kind of love out from our 
lives to God, yes, but also to those other folks that God brings into our lives, other people, other human beings. Now, God in his word shows us how his love works. In the New Testament, there are two Greek words that we translate love. One is the word philo, which means love like a brother, brotherly love. Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. It, it, it's a good kind of love, and it can be a strong kind of love when I love somebody like a brother. And it doesn't mean just a sibling who's biologically related to me, but it means my brother or sister in Christ. It means those people who have become important to me as close friends. I'm going to, I can love them like a brother. But the other word is a stronger word. It's the word agape. And it means an unconditional, no boundaries, no time limit, no strings attached kind of love. It's the kind of love that Paul describes in 1 Corinthians 13. Okay. Now, the best example of this love is shown in Jesus. It's shown as Jesus hung on the cross, dying for our sins. Just the fact that Jesus went to the cross shows that kind of love. But then you hear the first words that Jesus speaks from the cross that Luke records in Luke 23, 34, where Jesus says, Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. Here's Jesus hanging on the cross, innocent, not guilty of any sin, any wrongdoing, certainly not guilty of anything that he was falsely accused of, hanging on the cross, knowing he's innocent, knowing that in all just and fairness, he shouldn't be on the cross. And yet, what are his first words? Father, forgive them? I'm going to be honest with you. That would not be my first words. My first words would be a lot more angry than that. It would mean maybe calling curses down on those people who out of their pride and out of their anger and out of their hatred put me on that cross. But Jesus says, Father, forgive them. Forgive who? Who is he asking the Father to give the opportunity to be forgiven? Well, forgive the Roman soldiers who put Jesus on the cross? Yes. Forgive Pilate who commanded Jesus' execution? Yes. Forgive the crowd who asked for Jesus' execution? Yes. Forgive the Jewish religious leaders who orchestrated Jesus' execution? Yes. Forgive you and me who caused Jesus to have to die on the cross because of our sins? Yes. See, I think a lot of times when we read that passage where Jesus says, Father, forgive them, we're picturing those religious leaders, that Jewish crowd, those those Roman soldiers, Pilate. But we forget that Jesus is looking down through the centuries and he's looking at you and I. Because when he died on that cross, not only were those who were there and their sins on his mind and his heart, not only were their sins laid upon him, but he was thinking about you and I because my sin and your sin was placed upon Jesus. So just as much as he is asking 
the Father to provide an opportunity. And this isn't blanket forgiveness. He's not saying forgive them. No, he's saying give them the opportunity to see their sin, to realize that my death is the only way that pays for that sin, and out of God's love for us, he provides that. And then we come to that understanding and surrender our lives to him, give them that opportunity. But he was not just talking about those who were physically there, but he was talking about you and I, because it was my sin and your sin, just as much as their sin that put him up on that cross. Now, how is that going to look in everyday life? Well, Jesus shows us that too. You know, one of the great things I love about God is that he doesn't command us to do something without showing us in his word how that is going to be done, what it's really going to look like. In John chapter 21, Jesus has resurrected. The disciples had already had at least a couple of times where Jesus appeared to them, but now some of them have gone back to Galilee where Jesus told them to go, but they've gone back sort of at least semi to their own lives of fishing and so forth. So there's a group of them out there fishing, Peter included, and, and they see Jesus and they then go to the shore where Jesus is to have breakfast with him. And Peter and Jesus have a conversation. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? He said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. He said to him, tend my sheep. He said to him the third time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? Peter was grieved because Jesus had said the third time, do you love me? And he said to him, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And Jesus said to him, feed my sheep. Now, there's a couple of things in this passage that we need to look at. First, notice in each of these instances where Jesus asked Peter, Peter, do you love me? And Peter says, yes, I love you, Lord. He gives him something to do. He gives him to feed his sheep or feed his lambs, tend his sheep, feed his sheep. He gives him something to do. See, love just isn't an emotional feeling inside of us. Love then moves us to an action, to do something that demonstrates and shows the reality of our love. That's what Jesus is doing. Peter said a lot of good words to Jesus, okay? But he always didn't follow through. Now, in this conversation, this is the same Peter who just a few days before had denied Jesus, someone that he had vowed to die for with his life, but he had denied him. Jesus tells Peter, you're going to deny me. Peter in his pride says, no, there's no way that I could do that. I would die before I, I deny. All these other guys might, but not me. And yet he goes and he does it. And he doesn't do it to Pilate or to Roman soldiers or to the Jewish religious leaders. He does it to servants 
two little servant girls and, and then a male servant. These are people who could not have harmed Peter even if they wanted to. But he was so fearful that he couldn't acknowledge his, not, his, his, his love and his relationship with Jesus. Now, the second thing in this conversation is something that you don't see when you just read it out of Scripture, but you have to really look at the words. Because like I said, there are two words for love, and they're both used in this passage. When Jesus asked Peter, if you love me, do you love me? He asks him, do you agape me? And Peter replied that, yes, he loved him, but he philoed him. He loved him like a brother. The second time Jesus asked Peter, do you love me? Do you agape me, Peter? And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, philo you, love you like a brother. Then finally, on the third time, Jesus asked Peter, if you love him, if you love me. But this time, Jesus uses the word philo. Do you love me like a brother? And Peter replies, yes, Lord, you know that I love you, philo you. I love you like a brother. See, Jesus was willing to, to say to Peter, I know you're not at that level to love me, agape. So I'm going to give you an opportunity. I'm going to let my love for you, this agape love that I have for you, work in your life so it transforms you so that one day, Peter, you're going to be able to say, yes, I love you like a brother. And what we see after this is the total transformation of Peter. See, Jesus loves you and I with a wild, uninhibited, no-holes-barred kind of love. But he's also patient in that love. And he'll love us even when we don't love him in kind. Even when he's saying to me, Joe, I agape you. And I say, Jesus, I philo you. He's okay because he knows that as I experience that overwhelming, that uninhibited, wild, no holes barred agape love of his, it's going to change and transform me. See, the awesome thing about God's love is it accepts us the way that we are. It accepts us the way that we are. But it's such a powerful love that it is transforming and changing us even as he's accepting us and we're experiencing this love. You know, Jesus' his love is so powerful that it will transform us like it transformed Peter, who we see about a month later, standing in front of thousands of people proclaiming the resurrection of Jesus. Through the agape love that Jesus showed Peter, Peter was able then to love Jesus above even the philo, love you like a brother. He reached loving Jesus with that agape love. And Peter was able to love others with that agape love. You know, I love to hear my wife tells me that she loves me. And I know what she means when she says that because she shows me that love every day. And I know what my son means when he says that he loves me because he shows it to me. I know what my grandchildren mean when they say they love pops. Even at 10 and 14 years old, they show it. 
When God says that he loves me, he shows it. He shows it to us. In John 3.16, probably the most familiar passage of scripture verse there is, it says, for God so loved the world. And then it tells us what that love looked like. God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, whoever believes him will not perish, but have eternal life. God's love is shown in the fact that he sent Jesus. In other words, God loved us so much with this agape love that he became flesh and bone, blood and muscle. He became a human being. He took on all our limitations. He faced all of our temptations. And why did he do that? Well, Paul tells us in Romans 5, 6 through 8, for while we were still weak, at the right time, Christ died for the ungodly. For one would scarcely die for a righteous person, though perhaps for a good person, somebody we labeled good, we would dare to die. But God, in contrast to that, God shows his love for us that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Notice how we are described here. Weak, ungodly sinners. See, Jesus didn't die for the strong and the righteous and the saints. No, he died for the weak, the ungodly sinners. So that by our accepting that and receiving that sacrifice out of his love for us, we become strong. We become righteous. We become saints. It's not about how much we, we want to measure love in, in how much is. God measures love in the depth of our love. And when it's that agape love, it's going to be a love that gives. And it's going to give to those who don't deserve it. He gave his love to us when we didn't deserve it. So when I tell you that I, I love God, does he know what I mean because I'm showing it through my obedience? When you say to God, God, I love you, does he see that or does he just hear the words? Because words are cheap. And if I'm really loving somebody, I'm going to be willing to sacrifice. I'm going to be willing to come out of my comfort zone. I'm going to be willing to give up things. It's what Jesus did for us. He gave up everything that was in heaven, everything that was the majesty, the splendor of heaven, of eternity, and he became one of us, and he went to a cross, and he died for us. See, agape love is not based on our emotions. See, we want to see love as an emotional thing. God sees love as something that is based upon our will. We act in, in that agape love, not out of emotion, but out of our will. It was not emotion that led Jesus to the cross, but it was an act of his will to do what the Father wanted, to do the Father's will, and thus provide the only way of salvation for us. Remember the conversation between Jesus and the Father in the, in the garden, where he says, Father, if there is any way this cup, this cup of suffering is going, is able to pass from me, not my will, but your will. That's not an emotional thing. That's an act of the will saying, Father, I know what you want. And I know this is the only way. And though emotionally I would choose another way, I'm willing to do what you want. Now, 
can we as humans exhibit that kind of love? I want to read you a story that exhibits that kind of agape love to a person who didn't deserve it at all. In 2004, Victoria Ruvillo was driving on a Long Island highway when Ryan Cushing and several other young men were on an overpass overlooking that highway. Ryan threw a 20-pound frozen turkey off the overpass. It smashed through Victoria's windshield. The impact broke every bone in Victoria's face. She had a 10-hour surgery. She had three titanium plates and a mesh for her left eye socket placed in her face. Ryan was arrested, and the other young men agreed to testify against him. He was facing 25 years in prison. Victoria, this lady who went through this horrible thing, intervened on his behalf, on this young man who caused all of her injuries, totally changed her life, intervened on his behalf, worked with his lawyer to get his sentence reduced. So instead of 25 years in prison, he got six months in jail and five years probation. When Victoria was asked why she intervened for Ryan, she said, God had given her a second chance, and she needed to do the same for Ryan. Victoria didn't do this out of an emotional response. Her emotions probably led her in the opposite direction to, to, to be angry and even have potential hatred toward this young man. But she did it out of act of the will to forgive and help Ryan because she knew that was what agape love was to do in that situation. So let me ask you to do something this week. Focus this week on loving Jesus as Jesus loves. Focus on loving as Jesus loves. Ask him to help you love your spouse the way he loves your spouse. Ask him to love your children as he loves your children. Ask him to love your church family as he loves your church family. And if you don't have a church family, I'm going to encourage you, go get one. No, they're not going to be perfect. They're going to be some that irritate you. They're going to be some that you disagree with. But if we're going to be people who exhibit agape love, we need to practice that. And there's no better place to practice that than in a faith family where the imperfect are there along with you and you get to practice loving them just as Jesus loves you and also loves them. Love those you work with as Jesus does, and even love your enemies with that wild, uninhibited, no-holes-barred, transforming love as Jesus loves them. But also, ask yourself, am I loving Jesus the way that he loves me? And then ask him to enable you to love him in the way that he loves you. I pray that you today and throughout this week, the rest of this week, experience that overwhelming, wild, uninhibited, no holes barred love of Jesus in your life. And as you do, experience the transforming power of that love to transform you not into who you want to be or who others want you to be, but who God created you to be in the first place. Will you pray with me right now? Father, I want to just thank you for how much you love us with that agape love.
help us to experience that love and through experiencing your love to be transformed, to know that it was you, Jesus, who died on that cross while we were still sinners, weak, ungodly sinners, and that you transform us into strong, righteous saints. And help us then to, as we experience that love and it transforms us, to then share that love and manifest that love into other people's lives because they need to know how much you love them too. Thank you for your grace and mercy. I lift this to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Guys, I want to thank you for accessing today. If this spoke to you, if this is a message that you want others and you believe others need to hear, please do me the great honor of sharing that on your Facebook page so more and more folks can uh, hear it and hopefully God can use it in their lives. Also want to share one more thing before I get out of here. Um, my son and I are doing a podcast called Raise the Roof, Remove the Walls. Um, and it's on Amazon Music. It's on iHeartRadio. It's on um, Spotify. It's on Google. It should be on Apple. We're not sure about that one yet. Apple's a little slow. But anyway, uh, it's he and I talking about just basically different subjects that resolve around Jesus. This, this new one, which will come up Thursday, be posted Thursday, is about sanctification, what it means to be changed and transformed to become more and more like Jesus. Uh, we've already done two. One was on Luke chapter 9, and the other one was on a song called Promised Land. So I hope that you will listen to those uh, and that it will be a help to you in your relationship and following Jesus. Guys, I love you. Have a great week. I will be back next Tuesday, same time, same place, same station. Bye, guys.